Good evening. If you have a, a bulletin handy, you can turn to look at the passage that we'll be looking at this evening, which is Jeremiah verses, uh, chapter 23, verses 5 through 6. I'm going to read this passage from God's word for us this evening. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called, the Lord our righteousness. Amen. This is the word of God. Well, this Christmas Eve in the year of our Lord, 2023, we remember the birth of our Messiah, Jesus Christ. And not only do we remember the, his birth, but we remember all that comes thereafter. We, we think of his life, we think of his death and his resurrection and his ascension to the right hand of God from where he reigns forever to the present day. Jesus is one of the most well-known figures in all of human history, probably the most well-known figure, it's arguable. But there's very different opinions about who Jesus is, aren't there? For those who believe in him, his name is precious. It brings joy and hope to them. But for others, Jesus is either a name that they care little for or a name that they reject or uh, sometimes even simply an expletive used by others. It was interesting to me in looking at a recent uh, English dictionary, I thought, I wonder what the dictionary says about Jesus. So I opened it up and I found two of the first definitions. The first definition was this, Jesus, the central figure of the Christian religion. It's the first definition. The second definition was Jesus, an oath used to express irritation, dismay, or surprise. Fascinating that that second definition even makes it into the dictionary, but in fact that is indeed often how the name of Jesus is used. Well, what I want to do tonight is honor the name of Jesus. I want you to understand and know who Jesus is and what he has done in our brief time together. There's many versions of Jesus out there. You can ask uh, people on the street, who, who was this man and what did he do and uh, did he exist and, and what was his purpose and in coming, the only sure foundation for knowing who Jesus is are the inspired scriptures, God's word. These are given to us to reveal who Jesus is. And this particular passage of Holy Scripture from the prophet Jeremiah was written approximately 600 years before Jesus was born. And yet it so well describes who Jesus is. And what he came to do. So I want to look at verse 5 here and consider what this promise is that God gave to his people 600 years before the birth of Christ. It says in verse 5, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. And he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. This was such good news for God's people because they had suffered centuries of bad leaders, centuries of bad kings. They were right on the cusp. They were within years of the Babylonians coming into Jerusalem, destroying the city, exiling the people for 70 years. They were within years of that. 
moment. And so God says to his people who have so long suffered under terrible leaders that I am going to raise up a righteous king in the line of David. They had endured such bad leaders. If you look at the beginning of this chapter in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 23, verse 1, this was how the chapter began. It said, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. This is what they were dealing with. So many bad leaders. We're all familiar with bad leaders as well. All of us in this room, we're going to have different uh, political leanings and perspectives. And uh, presumably everybody in this room would, would align somewhat with uh, the two of the major political parties in our country. Or maybe you'd classify yourself as an independent. But either way, if I was to ask you, what kind of leader do you want? What kind of ruler do you want? What kind of president or senator do you want? You would say, I want a good one. I want one that will do right. I want one that will... Uh, Take care of things and be truthful and do the right thing uh, for our nation. And it's easy in our modern day to be political uh, cynics, I believe. There's a lot of cynicism around because of all the bad leaders that we have endured. Uh, But uh, what, what I want you to see here is that God's people at this time, when this prophecy was given, had endured many, many bad leaders as well. They would have been... Uh, political cynics with you as well. They were rather fed up with so many bad kings. So it's in the midst of all of that that God says, I'm going to raise up a righteous branch. The idea was that in the line of David, this king would come and he would be a good king. He would be a just king. He would be a king who would rule righteously for the people of God. And he would bring peace and security to God's people. Well, my friends, I'm here to tell you tonight that the people of God do have such a king, and his name is Jesus Christ. In fact, he's king over the whole world, whether or not you recognize it or not. He is king over all things. He is revealed in the Holy Scriptures as King of kings and Lord of lords, ruler over the kings of the earth. Now, the prophet Jeremiah in verse 5 said that a righteous branch would arise within the line of David, a righteous branch in the line of David. And, of course, we've heard in the scripture readings earlier that Jesus was born in the city of David. Back in Luke 2, verses 10 through 11, when the angels appeared to the shepherds, they said, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day, where? In the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is the righteous branch in the line of David that they had awaited for 600 years, had finally arisen in the land. And so when God's people were exiled to Babylon, it would have seemed that the promise had been lost. Where is this promise of the Davidic king to come? When is this going to take place? Well, it did take place 600 years later. And so Jesus is described here as this king who, who reigns in righteousness. He executes judgment and righteousness in the earth. He was a king that did not rule for his own interests, like so many political leaders do, but a king that reigned for the good of his people and reigns forever. Now, I could say much more this evening about what it means for Jesus to reign as a king and all the ways that his rule over his people shows itself, 
But what I want to especially focus our attention on this evening is the name that this righteous king is given in verse 6. In verse 6, we read these words. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is the name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. This name is a title that describes who Jesus is and what he has done. And this is so important for us to grasp if we would know who this Savior is. What does it mean to say that his name is a title, the Lord, our righteousness? Well, it's helpful to know that at this time, the king over God's people in the land of Judah was King Zedekiah. He was the last king before the Babylonians uh, took Jerusalem, and he was not a good king. Uh, As with so many kings in that section of scripture, we have this repeated and and discouraging refrain where it says, he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And we think, oh, not again. Not another one that did evil in the sight of the Lord. That's Zedekiah. Well, the name Zedekiah means the Lord is my righteousness. And it seemed like such an unfitting name for King Zedekiah because he was not a righteous king. He didn't rule righteously. He didn't respect the righteousness of God. And so for Zedekiah to be called, the Lord is my righteousness, people would have thought, what a letdown King Zedekiah is. King Zedekiah, in fact, imprisoned Jeremiah because he did not like God's word. So the very same prophet prophesying to us was imprisoned by Zedekiah because Zedekiah wanted to have nothing to do with him. So Zedekiah was not a great king. He fell so far short of God's righteous standards. Now what this text tells us about the king who was to come, our Lord Jesus Christ, is that he wouldn't be called the Lord is my righteousness, but he would be called the Lord is our righteousness. Now what does that mean? What is the significance of this? What it means is that this king would provide for his people the very righteousness that God demands from them. And what a difference this makes as we think about kings and rulers and presidents and senators. You think of the very best rulers in history. The very best that they can do is provide a righteous environment. They can provide somewhat of a good situation for people to live and enjoy prosperity but they can't provide the righteousness the people themselves need to be righteous. And that's what's unique about King Jesus. He goes so far beyond that to provide the very righteousness that you and I need. He does it himself. Now you might ask, why do I need a savior to provide righteousness to me? Why can't I just be good myself? Why can't I just be righteous? I can turn away from evil. I can do that which is good. Well, that's a theory that's supported by most religions in the world. The theory goes that we as human beings, we can do good and perhaps just enough good to be in favor with God or the gods that exist. But the Bible tells us something quite different than that. The Bible explains that near the very beginning of creation, shortly thereafter, mankind fell into a state of sin by disobeying God. And when that happened, sin and death entered this very good world and made it not so very good anymore. 
As the book of Romans chapter 5 says, that just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Every single one of us in this room has been affected by the corrosive, destructive effects of that fall into sin. We have been hurt by others, and we have hurt others by sin. The Bible says that every single human being has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. By nature, we are sinners, and in our natural condition, we will one day die. We will one day face God's judgment. And apart from the salvation that God has provided in his son, Jesus Christ, there is nothing we can do to save ourselves. We're all in the same position, ultimately. When we come to that day of judgment, we have an infinite debt because of our sin, and we have nothing to pay with, not a dime to pay with, when it comes to this infinite debt. Even our finest actions, the most virtuous things you could think of people have done, they, they fall short of the righteous standard of God. And that means that the holiest of saints and the most terrible of sinners stand in the very same place. They need a redeemer. We all need a redeemer. And so the point then of the prophecy that Jeremiah gives us is that we need a king who will not only rule righteously, but he will give us his own righteousness. We will be made righteous in him. We who are a sinful people, we who in some way or another break God's commandments every single day, we need a king who will give us righteousness. And the word of God tells us that this is exactly what Jesus Christ has done for his people. In 2 Corinthians, Paul uses this same kind of language. Listen to this, this parallel language to our prophecy. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says that God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is the very same thing that Jeremiah had spoken of, that the Lord would be our righteousness. Now it says that through Christ we become the righteousness of God. What an amazing description, what an amazing promise, because we fall so short of the righteousness of God. Sometimes Christians call this the great exchange, that Jesus, he takes all of our sins away from us, and then he gives us all of his righteousness, and we are now righteous in him. We call this the imputation of Christ's righteousness. That word imputation, it may be a bit unfamiliar uh, to some of us, but it's a word we actually use in, in modern conversation at times, if you think about it. Sometimes we talk about imputing motives. Have you ever heard somebody say that? You're imputing motives to me. Well, that is what we're doing is we're interpreting somebody's actions or words and we're saying, here's why you did it. I'm assigning a motive to you. Well, if we were to take that kind of meaning and we, we think about it in regards to Christ's righteousness, the idea is that the righteousness that truly belongs to Jesus Christ becomes ours by faith. And in the sight of God, he sees us in his Son. Though we are actually sinners owing an infinite debt to God, yet God, when he looks upon us in Jesus, sees his righteous, blameless, sinless son. We trade the dirty, 
sullied, ripped up robes of our sins for the perfect, spotless, pure white robe of Jesus Christ. And this is ours as a gift from God. And here, of course, friends, is the greatest gift that God has given mankind. This is the gift of Christmas. It is the very best gift. It is the gift of his love demonstrated through his son. And so we can better understand this, the greatness of this promise. I, I want us to honestly consider for a moment how we are not good and how good Jesus is in comparison with us. I think most of us, we tend to have a fairly positive assessment of ourselves. Uh, on one hand, I think all of us uh, like the phrase, no one is perfect. You hear people say that, right? No one's perfect. It's a convenient catchphrase because it serves as a very valuable excuse, of course, if you do something wrong. When we fail, when we break the law, when we say an unkind word, when we do something unkind, we can say, hey, no one is perfect. And to that we must all agree. Of course, the Bible would would go a bit further than that in terms of saying that no one is perfect. But on the other hand, we tend to have a fairly positive assessment of ourselves. We know this because if somebody offends us, we're pretty concerned about how they've acted towards us and the injustice of it all, and and we want things righted, and the question is, well, why is this something you deserve? But I want to suggest that so many of us do not have an accurate understanding of just how imperfect we really are. This is true for Christians as well. Christians also are continually coming to recognize how imperfect we are. It's not a stretch to say that every single one of us breaks God's commandments every single day in our thoughts, in our words, and in our outward actions. The Bible teaches that the definition of right and wrong is not up for human decision either. It's not something that we vote on and determine by democratic majority what is moral or immoral. Rather, God himself defines what is right and wrong. God himself is the living standard of what is right and true and holy and good. And the Lord Jesus is the only human being who ever lived a sinless life, never failing to keep God's commandments once. Jesus never once had hatred and malice for another human being in his heart, ever. Never once did an unclean, profane word pass through his lips. Not once did Jesus look upon a beautiful woman and lust after her in his heart. Never once did Jesus entertain thoughts of harming someone else or taking revenge upon someone else. He never stole from anyone, taking what did not belong to him. He never coveted. He never desired something that God had not assigned to him. He was content with his Father's will at all times. It was his meat and drink, he said, to do his Father's will. I hope that you can see something of the vast distance, the unbridgeable gulf that stands between us and Jesus in terms of sin. We might think we're good, but then when we look at Christ and his life, we know that we are not. And thankfully, Jesus was made like us in every way in his incarnation except for the way that mattered most. He was without sin. As Hebrews 4 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. The most important distinction from us. He is without sin so that he can help us who have sins. 
and help us eternally. Jesus faced every temptation you have ever faced, but he never sinned. How many temptations have you given into? Surely it would be impossible to put a number on that. This is why Jesus came, friends. He came to do what you could not do. He came to bring that righteousness which we do not have and you could never have by your own doing. He came to bring righteousness to the earth, to bring righteousness to you and to me. As 1 Peter 3 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Well, we've seen God's intention in raising up this righteous branch. He came to save his people, as our passage says. In his days, Judah will be saved. And for all who look to this Savior, who put their trust in him, who believe that he is who he says he is, they are saved. And if you would be saved by this king, you are to say and and confess the name that is given to him in this text. The Lord is our righteousness. I believe that. I receive that truth. If you will be saved by this king, then you come to God and you confess that you have no righteousness of your own and that you need the righteousness of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And the scripture says that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So this evening we remember, we celebrate what Jesus Christ has done, and we honor and exalt that name, the name that is the Lord, our righteousness, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you that you have given us your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, as the one who fulfills your righteous demands and gives us that right standing with you by faith. We ask, O God, that you would teach us from what we have heard this night, that we might receive these truths in our hearts and walk in them and and believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, whom you have sent. We pray this in his name. Amen.